All right, here we go. So um, the Feast of Trumpets is what we're going to be talking about, as I said. And it's roshis is the word for head in Hebrew. Ha is the word the shana year. So head of the year is what Rosh Hashanah is. And so typically this is what you're going to hear it, you know, explained as is Rosh Hashanah. Uh, it begins on the Jewish calendar of Tishri 1. And I'm going to kind of show you this a little bit more that will kind of make more sense. But it says in Numbers 15, verses 15 and 16, One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you, an ordinance forever throughout your generations as you are. So shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law, one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I want you to understand scripturally, I believe that this is not a Jewish festival. This is the Lord's festival, and the same rules apply for a Jew as it does for the Gentile that was welcomed into the Jewish covenant. Us. And so keep that in mind as we do this. Now, there are three main feast days on the Jewish calendar. Um, all feast days are what are called Moedim, these appointed times, but not all Moedim are feast days. Okay? Um, all Moedim, all appointed times, are going to have trumpets, involve trumpets of some sort, a blowing of a trumpet. But this one is different. This is unique. And I really believe that the picture of the Feast of Trumpets is what the Bible talks about trumpets all the time. What's, what, what are trumpets about? Well, you're going to see a lot of different things, but the final one leads up to the sound of the seventh trumpet. At the last trumpet, our bodies will be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says. Or 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, where it talks about at the sound of the trumpet, we will be gathered to the Lord, caught up in the air, in the clouds, with the Lord at the last trumpet. And so trumpets has to do with the Lord coming back, but much more than that. And we're going to examine what some of those things are. Um, here is the word teruah. That is the word trumpet, or what is translated as trumpets in the Feast of Trumpets, a day of trumpets, Yom Teruah. And here is the definition of it, an acclamation of joy or a battle cry, an alarm, blowing of the trumpets, joy, jubilee, loud noise, rejoicing, shouting. And the reason I wanted to show you that is because when we see the word teruah in Scripture, it isn't always a trumpet blow. It's not always a shofar, it sometimes is a silver trumpet as well, which we'll talk about. But um, I'm going to just show you some scripture verses where this same word teruah is used, but you're going to see that it's used in the context of, you know, the Lord's coming back, uh, going to war, things like that, you'll see. But here's some examples. Isaiah 58, verse 1. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. So lift up thy voice. Your Teruah. Luke 3, verse 4, It was just as has been written in the book of the sayings of the prophets Yeshayahu, uh, Isaiah, the voice of someone crying out in the desert, prepare the way for Adonai. 
make straight paths for him. That voice of someone crying out, in Hebrew we see a teruah there. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a rousing cry, a rousing teruah, with a call from one of the ruling angels and with God's shofar. Those who died united with the Messiah will be the first to rise. So, point being, teruah isn't always a trumpet. It's also sometimes a rising up of our voice, a shouting. And interestingly enough, when Jericho, when they're marching around Jericho, okay, they blow their trumpets, but they also have this loud cry. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but if you go look there at Jericho, their cry doesn't bring the walls down. They're commanded to do that. They do that, but it's God's trumpet that blows and brings the wall down. Okay? It's God's trumpet blow that allows them to enter the promised land. That's exactly how it is going to be with us. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians, okay, at the last trumpet. So we also have here ruah. That is the root word for teruah. And it means to mar, especially by breaking or split the ears with sound, a shout. And a shout for an alarm, for joy, so it can be praising him, celebration. Uh, it can be preparing them for war, any of those kinds of things. Um, so it, it, in Leviticus 23, 24, I think we'll look at that later, but it's called a zikron teruah. And zikron is the word for a memorial. And so that this trumpet is to be a memorial. Well, I, I'm pretty sure I've got it in here. We'll talk about it later, but... I wanted to show you as well what the, the traditional shofar sounds are. So you have basically four sounds. The tekiah, and this is one long blast, and usually this one signifies a rejoicing, a good sound. You have the shevarim, it's uh, three short calls, He's gonna, you'll hear it here in a, in a minute, but it's a reminder that the, the king is coming. The king to judge the earth, basically. And we're supposed to repent at that sign. It's like a get ready. We have the teruah, which is an alarm. Did everyone get that last no. you, go back. you want me to go back? There you go. Um, the teruah one that I'll show you here, it's, it's an alarm. It's a rapid series of nine uh, staccato notes and it's basically like a reminder to plead for mercy before the king who has come to judge the living and the dead but also um, it's kind of an alarm of war that something's happening and then finally we're also going to have the tequila gadola or gadola the basically gadol is like large um, and so this one is one that is supposed to be as long as you can carry it out, like until you pass out type thing. And it's single, unbroken. And this is the one that seems to be used that most people think that the last trumpet of what we read about in Thessalonians and Corinthians is going to be this great trumpet, this great sound. 
The Takia Godola, that one? Yeah. Okay. And so this guy here is pretty good at it. He's going to show you what they sound like. ...or calls or blasts of the shofar. The first one being the Takia, which is a long blast. The second one being the Shivarim, which is three blast. The third one being the Taru, which is kind of an alarming sound with nine staccato type blasts. And the last one being the Takia Gadol, which is one long blast that gets louder. Yeah, do it right in here so that people can hear it. If you mess it up, nobody's going to, it'll be better than any of us could do anyway, so. <laughs> Thank you, Seth. Not bad. Now, I will let you know this. This is kind of in the book of Numbers it talks about that, and I don't remember if I've got it in here or not, but when you go to battle, you would do that, and it says when you blow that shofar, God would send his angels to protect you, to go to battle. And when we would do our street evangelism carny outside of the Mona parking lot, Dan Woods would oftentimes bring his shofar, and he would blow that thing before we would minister before we would be out there evangelizing and it is crazy the differences that we would see on the nights that that would happen it was like some of the most crazy things we ever saw were the nights we blew that trumpet and i could give you stories but i'm not going to get into that tonight there was something about that that spiritually was very unique and interesting and so the trumpet call is something that as a you know, regular churchgoer today, a westernized churchgoer, we, we don't really understand that. We don't even take it to heart where it's foreign to us. Frankly, it's weird to most people because we aren't really thinking biblically anymore. But yet this is a call and we need to be able to recognize and listen. But there are a lot of different voices out there that we can listen to. How are you going to know which one's right? That's kind of what the message was last week. How do we know, you know, to distinguish all of these different noises and voices that are out there? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 14, verse 8 says, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? And so when you kind of look at that, it's like we do need to know the sound of the trumpet. We do need to know you know, what this is about, because the Bible says there's going to be trumpets blowing. And I know so many people who, when they read the book of Revelation, they think that that's all just, you know, figurative stuff. 
No, guys, there will be a literal trumpet blowing. I believe that because that's exactly what we see in the book of Exodus. Okay, a non-prophetic book, you might say. When they were on Mount Sinai, God was blowing the trumpet, so much so that it scared the living daylights out of the Israelites that were down below. There was smoke, there was fire, and there was the sound of trumpets blowing. And it wasn't coming from the people. It was coming from God. I believe we will hear these trumpet blows again. And so if you hear that, it's not coming from our house, okay? <laughs> Lift your eyes to the heavens because the Lord is nigh. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll continue. Psalm 89 verse 15 says, Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. Okay, that word sound there is teruah. So in the Old Testament here it's saying, blessed are the people that know the sound, this teruah. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. So we need to know the sound of the trumpet. We need to be ready. Now, I'm not going to hyper-literalize this to where, okay, if you don't know that sound, you're going you know, to miss out. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there's a blessing in knowing about this. Okay? So, the Feast of Trumpets, it is, like I said, Rosh Hashanah, so it is the Jewish New Year, the head of the year. Okay, it's also viewed by them as a day of judgment, which you're going to see why, a day of remembrance, a memorial day, and a birthday of the world. The, the Jews believe that the world began on Rosh Hashanah. Now, I don't know if that's true. I'm just telling you what they believe, all right? But here's kind of a little outline to show you how it works. Um, it begins at the new moon, and uh, Ezra observed it for two days. We see in Nehemiah chapter 8, they gathered, they were reading the word, that kind of thing. And so I guess here, that's right, the 40 days is called Teshuvah. Teshuvah is simply the Hebrew word for repentance, ultimately. And so this 30 days of Elul, which is starting August 21st, plus the 10 days of awe, those 40 days are called the days of Teshuvah, repentance. Now, if Pastor Dana's dream means anything, guys, this is what we're supposed to be doing. And I don't know if you've seen his, yeah, I guess, I, I don't remember which is which, but I know last week I showed kind of a second thing that he talked to his church about. But I know that one of the things he's been talking about is that during the month of September, he saw that the church needed to be lifting one another up, that there are Christians that are going to be weak, and, and I don't understand what it is. He's just saying we need to be praying, we need to be repenting, and we need to be lifting one another up during that time. He also saw pastors and men being attacked by demonic spiritual warfare, especially with sexual temptations, pornography, things like that. And so he was warning, men, you need, to, you need to be getting your eyes on the Lord. Don't be tempted by the devil because he's going after you. That was kind of part of his message. But anyway, so that's why I thought it's important to talk about this now so that you can start thinking about this. And that this next month that we'll even kind of buckle down even more to, to, to examine ourselves to... 
really move into repentance. Now, when you get to the Day of Atonement, Tishri 1, you're going to, or, uh, I'm sorry, Tishri 10. Tishri 1 is uh, when t- uh, trumpets begins, but Tishri 10. During those 10 days of awe, that's a little bit more like in it repentance, and you're going to see there's a day of fasting, and there's, you're really supposed to deny yourself because that's an act of repentance. Now, I want you to remember that this is exactly the pattern of Scripture too. Do you remember before God came down on Mount Sinai, before He came to meet with His people, what did He tell them to do? Cleanse themselves, purify themselves, get ready to meet the Lord. And that's really what this is about. This is, at the very least, a rehearsal that we're supposed to be doing to get ready to meet our Maker but in a good way. Okay? So this kind of gives you an idea of just how that all works. Um, as far as what Scripture says for the, the day of the Feast of Trumpets, it doesn't really say a lot. It says, blow your trumpets. Watch. You're, it, it's a mysterious day. Even the Jews, they really don't know what to make it. It's a mysterious thing. They don't know exactly when it's supposed to. They're waiting for the trumpet to blow um, because I'll talk about it, but the bottom line is it's the very beginning of the first sliver of the moon that's seen. The day before that, it's dark. And so at times, they were waiting for the priest up on that, the, the corner of the temple where they would blow the trumpet, the rooster crow, they were standing up there and the priests, as soon as they would see it, would blow the trumpet. And if people were out in the fields, they would drop everything. I mean, they would leave their stuff and they're coming into the field because when that trumpet came and they didn't know when it was, they were to go and get ready to meet the Lord. So, um, we're gonna, you'll see more as we go. Let me show you Joel 2.1. Blow the shofar in Zion, the sound and alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord comes, for it is close at hand. So even here, it's kind of blown because it's the day of the Lord is coming. It's a time to prepare. And that's what we're seeing this is for. It's preparation for God's return. Um, I was telling you about Zakar. Um, this is that word memorial, to, to remember. And that's why this is also called the Day of Remembrance. Like I said, it's shrouded in mystery. It's got so many names. So part of what the Jews do with this, being a Day of Remembrance, is not only to remember that the Lord is coming back, but they remember, as I said, it's the world's birthday. They see Genesis is the word Bereshit. Bereshit simply means ba is in, Rashit is like beginning. So when they name the books, I don't know if you realize, but when they name the books of the Bible, it isn't like they, what should I call this one? It's named after the first phrase of that, the text. So if you read Genesis, it says in the beginning. It reads, Bereshit. That's why it's called Bereshit. Genesis is Bereshit. 
It's the same thing with all... They named it after the first part of what it's saying. So if you take Bereshit and you change it around slightly, the Jews do this all the time, it's Eleph Be Tishri, which is the first of Tishri. And so because the first of Tishri is the beginning of this, they say it's the beginning of the world because it's connected to, it's kind of a reformed Bereshit. So, again, that's their saying. I have no idea if it's true. That's just some background for you. The Jews say that on this date, the flood waters dried up. Enoch was taken to heaven. Sarah, Rachel, and Samuel uh, were uh, conceived, or I should say Sarah conceived, Rachel conceived Samuel, was uh, basically conceived at that point. Joseph was freed from prison. Ezra starts the altar sacrifice. These are just things that they teach. And they believe that this is a time then to remember Sarah and Hannah because this is when they had conceived. So it's a time to remember these miracles of God, these important moments in history. Now, Malachi 4 goes on to talk here about judgment and the Messiah's coming. It says this, then they feared the Lord, spoke often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, my segula, my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serves him. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between them that serves God and him that serves him not. This is Malachi talking about when the Lord returns. And he says there's a book of remembrance written. A remembrance of what? Okay, well, it seems to be a remembrance of your works. That ties in with what we see in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 20, we see when the Lord returns, it says that books are opened and the dead are judged by what is written in those books. Some people believe that one of those books is this book of remembrance that is going to be opened on the Day of Atonement. And you're going to see how the Jews tie this in to celebrating that later. Yes, the Book of Life is different. That's another book. There's also a book of words, it seems, that they believe. Well, like I said, we'll kind of talk about that and show you some scriptures of it. But as far as I'm concerned, Revelation 20 is this. We, as believers in Yeshua, we are judged by one book, the Book of Life. If your name is written in the Book of Life, you're in. Because that tells you whether you're in or not. Now, but there are books, then, that are recording our good deeds, because you will be rewarded according to what you have done. All your sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west, so there's nothing to you know, make you go in the hole. There's only things to add up. But then the books for the non-believers, it's the same thing. There's anything done apart from faith is sin, so they don't have anywhere to go up. They only get to go more and more in the hole. And anyway, that's a different message, but bottom line, 
I think that's what this is talking about in, in some senses. But we see that it says, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, my segula, in that day, he says, I will spare them. And it seems to be when he's coming back, he's going to spare them, and he's going to protect them in some ways. I'm not saying that you won't have problems, but there's plenty of scriptures talking about him protecting us. And he says, and in that day, you're going to see once again the distinction between those who serve God and those who do not serve God. We saw that in Exodus at the Passover, didn't we? That God made a distinction between his and those that were not his. We see that in Revelation as well. We're going to see some are sealed with a mark. Uh, this is a theme that we can find throughout Scripture. Um, and lots of other verses that we could look at. But this is what we're seeing. This is talking about end times. This is talking about when the Lord's coming back and there's this remembrance that is taking place. We see here... As well in Exodus 19.5, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure. It's that same word, segula. Unto me above all people. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in the New Testament here, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So we see that same New Testament equivalent. I think is that Corinthians. I didn't get the address there, but I think it's Corinthians. But bottom line is that we are his special people, and God remembers that. That's what he's doing. Revelation 14, verse 3, these and those of Malachi uh, 3 up above, or that we saw the previous slide, I should say, are spoken of in Revelation. It says this, They sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. I think that these are the special treasure that God is talking about. Okay? He, he has a marked people, you might say. Anyway, just I'm going to go through this a little quicker here. The time of judging. Remember, it's a day of judgment. There are three books according to the Talmud that are used or going to be opened on the first of the year, Rosh Hashanah. The book of righteousness, you might call that the book of life. The book of the holy wicked, the opposite of the book of life. And then you've got this book of intermediates who have ten days to repent. These, they're not wicked, they're not righteous, they're in between, and now is the time for you to return to the Lord. And you're going to see on tabernacles, as we get to that later, this is the one festival that Gentiles are welcomed in. That during this ten days as well, you're going to see that if you were a Jew that went astray, this is the time that you are welcomed back without questions. You can come back to the synagogue. So we'll talk about that later, but this is what it's talking about. That you've got the righteous, the wicked, and those that are undecided at this point. But you've got a short period to repent and come back in. Alright, so that's just kind of what, what they see. Now, I've got some scripture verses up here. How the shofar, the, the trumpet, is used. 
for war for the Jubilee year, to bring it in, to coronate kings, to regather dispersed Israel, to warn of danger, and the Messiah's arrival. I'm not going to take you through all of those or else this is going to get too long, but I just want you to see that ultimately this is an end time picture. There's going to be war. It's probably a jubilee. It, Jesus is going to be coronated as king. He is going to regather dispersed Israel. There is warnings of danger going on. Throughout all of Revelation, we see that because the Messiah is arriving. All of this is in some way, shape, or form associated with the Lord's return. So trumpets is getting ready for him to come back. Here we see the trumpet gets louder and louder in Exodus 19 on Mount Sinai when the commandments were given. When the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. Like I was telling you before, where did this trumpet come from? It wasn't from the priests. This is a trump of God. Just like at Jericho, as I mentioned before as well. When he blows, he's coming down. And... I, for one, cannot wait to hear that sound. If I ever hear that sound and it isn't coming from my house, I'm going to be pretty darn excited, I'll tell you that. Okay? So don't any of you go get out in the cornfield and start going. Okay? Anyway. Don't give him any idea. Yeah. Run out of the shower. It's happening. I'm going to look at this uh, sound of war here a little bit. Um, Nehemiah 4, 19 and 20. And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers, to the rest of the people, the work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall one from another. If you remember, this is when they're trying to build the walls around Jerusalem again, and they have to do so with sword and everything because the, uh, the people in the country want to basically attack. They want to destroy this. Verse 20, In what place therefore you hear the sound of the trumpet, resort you thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. In other words, when that trumpet sounds, you gather because God's going to fight for us. I believe this, Jericho, so many times in Scripture, that is a picture of what we see in Revelation. When the trumpets begin to blow, God is going to gather his people, not so that we can be the great army to go and, you know, kick some butt and take names, it's because God will fight for us. And so this is a celebration. This is something for us to look forward to, those trumpets. Because just like I was saying when we would go out and evangelize, when we blew the trumpet, it wasn't for us. It was God bringing the army. He was coming. And that's what we're seeing the silver trumpets. Make thee two trumpets of silver of a whole piece shalt thou make them that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. When they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee, to the Lord, at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So here we're seeing that when these silver trumpets were blown, it was to gather to the tabernacle. We're setting out, we're moving, we're moving forward. Some would say that 
perhaps this is the rapture kind of thing. Okay, whether you're pre, prid, pre, mid, post, well, I'm not going to get into that. But nonetheless, everybody believes in a rapture. The rapture is going up to be with the Lord. The timing is what everybody disagrees with. Okay? Um, but anyway, you are to assemble at the tabernacle. What's the tabernacle? The Bible says it is a picture of heaven. It's a shadow of what's in heaven. So when the trumpet blows, you're supposed to gather there. That's why they see this as a picture of the rapture. Well, what does Thessalonians and Corinthians say? At the sound of the trumpet, the last trumpet, our bodies will be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. We will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's exactly a picture of what we see here. What I want to really focus on here tonight, though, are the messianic significances of the trumpets. We've kind of talked a little bit about it, but um, what's interesting to me, tying this 40 days in, is we see Yeshua coming, and he's baptized. What he does right after he's baptized by John the Baptist is he goes up into the wilderness for 40 days. That is the beginning of his coming, in a sense, his ministry beginning. There's 40 days before that. And what is his message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That is what this 40-day period is about. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So, we know... The Passover, most of you have been to a Seder meal that I've led, and we see how Yeshua is that Passover lamb. We see how on Pentecost or Shavuot that the Holy Spirit is given. And then we see that on the Feast of First Fruits, in the middle of that, I should have put it in order, Passover, First Fruits, and uh, Pentecost, Shavuot. Jesus dies on the cross, then Jesus rises from the dead, and then the Holy Spirit is given on the spring festivals. Very important things take place on festivals, biblically. The fall festivals are no different. I believe, personally, that these, the fall festivals are going to be this. The Feast of Trumpets, the Lord returns. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, or Malachi, or all some of these other verses that we've looked at that seem to be pointing to that. Okay, Feast of Trumpets. You have a ten days of awe. Day of Atonement. I don't know what's going on in those ten days of awe, but we see Day of Atonement. Well, it's Judgment Day. Revelation 20, the books are opened, as you're going to see. Five days after that, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. What's Tabernacles about? Well, you get to live with God. You're living with Him. We will tabernacle with Him. Even Yeshua, when He came, it says in John that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is literally tabernacled among us. Okay? So, doggone it. Now I'm... Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> right now. Yeah. The point being, though, is I believe these fall festivals, there's no question about it in my mind. I am 100% sold out. Scripture supports this is a picture of His second coming. 
And this is why we want to celebrate them. Just like I love celebrating Passover. It's, it's, it's my family's favorite season, favorite uh, thing to celebrate in the year. They love Passover. I do too. Because I celebrate the resurrection of Yeshua way more than I ever, ever, ever did in some Easter celebration. And I think if any of you have been to a Seder meal with us, I think you would agree it is an amazing thing to celebrate Christ. And that's what this is all about. Well, why not do the same thing for the fall festivals? To prepare for His coming. To be ready. To understand it even better. To understand the times. Because these festivals are going to help you do that. To understand the times of what's going on. Sure. So um, it always it talks about you won't know the day or the hour, but I've also heard this. Yeah. So what is, how do you? Yeah. Two Nobody knows the day or the hour. Again, I've talked about this before, but just to preface it in case somebody's listening here as well, a lot of people think, "Oh, you're never going to know when the Lord's coming back. He's coming like a thief in the night." Well, read the very next verse. It says, "But you, brothers, be on your guard, so that this day should not surprise you like a thief." So he's only coming like a thief to unbelievers. To believers, he says, this day isn't going to surprise you. Now, nobody knows the day or the hour. That's what's kind of cool about this trumpet thing. Nobody knows. He's pointing to the Feast of Trumpets. Any Jew listening to that phrase, at the time he was there, Feast of Trumpets was in their mind. Because it is the, it's a, a mysterious thing. Nobody knows the day or the hour that they're going to hear that trumpet blow. Ever. Now, I also believe that our calendars have been kind of screwed up. The Babylonians, when they, their Israel was taken captive in Babylon and they came back, the calendar may not be exactly right. So I still don't think we can even say, well, he's coming back on the Feast of Tabernacles, so let's look. You know, for or Feast of Trumpets. Let's look for this, uh, you know, September 19th, Jesus is coming back. You, I don't think you can say that. But just like Passover, he was going to be our Passover lamb. You never could tell when it was. So he told you to make and do these things as rehearsals. That, that's literally the word, a mikra, that is used to describe these festivals in Leviticus. That word mikra is like a rehearsal. So he told the Jews you do, and foreigners, you do these things because it is a rehearsal. And so they did it every year. And now one year, Yeshua comes and he, the play is, what's that called? Not the rehearsal, but the final night, whatever that's called. Opening, Opening night, performance, I guess. Yeah, the performance takes place. It's the same thing with this. He says, keep doing this because in doing this, you're rehearsing, you're remembering. You're remembering I'm coming back. You're not going to you know, grow weary. You're always going to be expectant. And so I do believe that we still can't say in a very literal sense the day or the hour, but you will know the season. And I believe that as end times begin to unfold you're going to understand these festivals even more and why there's 10 days between and maybe five days you know, between uh, tabernacles and atonement and whatnot. I think more of that's going to become clear as we go through it. But the Feast of Trumpets, you might say, is one of these feasts that nobody knows the day or the hour. 
So it was, it was a surprise. They knew the season. They knew, oh, it's got to be here coming soon. And then it would blow, and they would drop everything and get out of their fields. So, um, as I was talking about before, where the Lord is the one that blows the shofar. Zechariah 9 says this in verse 11. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Verse 12, turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. When I have bent Judah for me, filled the bow with Ephraim, and raised up thy sons, O Zion, against thy sons, O Greece, and made thee as a sword of a mighty man, and it continues here in verse 14, we're getting to the point, and the Lord shall be seen over them, and his arrow shall go forth as the lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the tr trumpet, the, here it's a shofar, and shall go with the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts shall defend them, and they shall devour and subdue with slingstone. Basically the same thing we were talking about before. Verse 16, the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people. We're seeing a trumpet's blowing. It brings in God to save, to help, to redeem. So, this is why Jewish tradition has that trumpets is the first court date for those that are written in the book of life. And that the day of atonement, 10 days later, after the 10 days of awe, is the second court date for all the rest. Now, again, this is Jewish tradition. Not saying this is, is right. I'm just telling you this is what they believe. The rabbis taught that the resurrection will happen on trumpets. It's kind of what I just told you. It seems to make sense with New Testament verses, Corinthians and Thessalonians. And then the righteous enter the hoopah, which is going to be a wedding canopy. We'll talk about that when we get to the Feast of Tabernacles. For seven years, while the day of trouble or the seven-year tribulation occurs on earth. Sometimes it's called Jacob's trouble. So for pre-trib rapture people, there are some rabbis that would seem to support that. Okay? Now, by the way, there are some rabbis that will not support the pre-trib rapture. This is the thing about this is using these fall festivals, you can make it a pre-trib rapture or you can make it a post-trib rapture. It doesn't make... There are patterns that are there for either one. Okay? It's just a, a matter of what you see. But anyway, this is what they see. That those 10 days of awe, those intermediates, you have this first rapture, then these 10 days, or this a picture of these, this seven-year tribulation, and during that time there will be some that will repent, come in, and then you have your, your second rapture, you might say. Now again, I don't really, th this isn't how, where I stand myself, but if you ever study this, you're going to run into I want you to know that that's out there. Okay? Anyway, I'm going to switch gears a little. Spurgeon said this, You know more about your magazines and novels than what God has written. Many of you will read a novel from the beginning to the end, and what have you got? A mouthful of foam when you're done. 
But you can't read the Bible. That solid, lasting, substantial, and satisfying food goes uneaten, locked up in the cupboard of neglect, while anything that a man writes, a bestseller of the day, is greatly devoured. Greedily. What's that? Greedily. Greedily? What did I say? I didn't greatly. even say. Greatly. Oh, yeah. Well, Greedily it's devoured. Yeah, yeah, it did. It ruined the whole thing. <laughs> anyway, um, that's a good point. Yeah, I really think that during this time period, this is what we need to be thinking about. We need to be studying God's word to to understand this stuff in a deeper way, because we can read novels, we can try to ignore you know, uh, maybe what's coming upon this country and just try and live our life and make it as comfortable as possible, ignoring the inevitable, hoping it doesn't come. Or we can get down on our knees, repent, seek the Lord, get in the Bible, and have some everlasting benefit that comes from it. Some peace that's going to come from it when troubles do arise. And... I, I'm just, my spirit, I, everywhere I go, this is kind of what I'm trying to tell people is, guys, we can't wait until troubles come and expect to be ready then. You have to prepare and get ready before troubles come. You're building, it's just kind of like, if you're going to go and enter a weightlifting competition, you can't just go and expect that you're going to be trained and ready to go at that day. You prepare ahead of time for the day. It's in the Word. In the Word. Air. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It is. Pre-pair. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at the Word of God, and I'm like, what? what? <laughs> oh, I see. The Word prepare. Yeah, it, it is. We have to look ahead. Well... This message, I was trying to make this like flow, and I couldn't. And so I'm jumping around a lot, and I realize that. But like I said, this is a mysterious day. It's hard to find a cohesive message for me in this. Can you say again about the, when that trumpet blew, there was a priest on the, on the top of the temple, and, and what was he looking for? Well, it, was an, it wasn't look. Well, yeah, he was looking for the first sliver of the moon of that month. So the moon would go away, and there might be clouds or whatever, and so they had to wait for, until they could see the very first sliver of that moon. Now, some days, if it was cloudy and they couldn't see it, they didn't blow the trumpet. So it could be that there was a cloudy day, and it was the next day. But as soon as they saw that moon, that sliver of the moon, they would blow the trumpet, announcing the Feast of Trumpets is beginning. And so, again, that's why they didn't even know the day or the hour. Because if they couldn't see that sliver, they weren't blowing the horn. And it's always that mysterious, day, unknown day. So, um, here again, we've kind of talked a lot about these things, but one that we have not talked about is the Yom Hamelech, the day of the king. It's kind of the coronation of the king type thing. Um, they would coronate their kings on this day. Just like we have a day of coronation, so did they. And it was on the day of trumpets. So, while all the other festivals that we have are very clear. Passover, it's like clearly Yeshua's death and resurrection. 
Day of Atonement, very little, everybody pretty much sees that's, you know, the um, judgment day. Tabernacles, we see we're living with God. Trumpets, it's shrouded in this mystery. We, we just don't understand everything outside of there's a connection with the Lord's coming back. So it's just an interesting season or, or festival all around. Um, Matthew 24, verse 42. This is the one that you were saying before. Therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day the, your Lord will come. Remember I said they're waiting for that sliver moon. Before, before that, it is pitch dark. So there's a progression here. Pitch dark, Lord comes. Trumpets. Look at what Isaiah 13 says in verses 9 through 11. The day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate, destroy the sinners within it. Judgment day. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. Darkness. The rising sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. In other words, what we're seeing before the Lord comes is even the heavens are darkened. That's the picture that we see in the Feast of Trumpets. The heavens are dark. There's no moon. And then when the moon comes, when the light comes, that's when you announce and get ready for the Lord's return. That same pattern is seen over and over in Scripture. Matthew 24, verses 29, continues after what we were reading there. Immediately after the distress of those days, all of these the tribulation-type things, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Same thing Isaiah was just talking about. Then, in other words, after that, after this darkness, will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. So that same pattern is seen. Leviticus 23, 24, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, that's what we're talking about, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets. This is when he's giving this, telling them this is what you do. My question is, a memorial of what? He doesn't attach it to anything. Well, the Jews would maybe say, yeah, a memorial of the earth, but I think it's also a memorial of the Lord and His coming back, ultimately. That it is for you to remember that He's coming back. To remember that... On Mount Sinai, remember the trumpets blowing? And then I came down? You remember that. That this is a sign of my coming. I don't know, but it's just interesting. A memorial of what? After we read this in Matthew 24, continuing what we just read immediately after the tribulation, it says in verse 30, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. 
So God sends his angels with a trumpet, and he gathers the elect. To me, that's rapture. That fits with 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4. So Matthew kind of lines right up with it. This festival is also called the festival of the open gates. Again, shrouded in mystery, but Revelation 19 says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. This is not the white horse of the seal judgments. This is Jesus, not the Antichrist. And in righteousness, and judges, he, he judges and makes war. And it goes on to describe him. But the point being is it's when a door is opened, Yeshua comes to judge the earth. And that's why it's called the day of opening the gates. But notice that this too is right after we see these trumpets being blown. And it seems to make way for Yeshua to come. Joel, same thing. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. Over and over, we're seeing the same pattern. Um, verse 4 continues here in Joel. Uh, Their appearance is the appearance of horses like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots over mountaintops, they leap. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars diminish their brightness. Here's one of those literal, not literal things. If I read this contextually, I just think, okay, before them, like meaning in front of them, but it can also be before they come, before these thieves, before these you know, judgments come, we have this darkness that comes on the earth, sun and moon. Don't know. 1 Thessalonians 4. What I keep quoting here. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So, what they see is a trumpet blowing, feast of trumpets, gates are opened, some are entering in, the Jews. Okay, That's what they see it. Isaiah 26, your dead shall live, the dead shall rise, right? Together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation, indignation is past. For behold... The Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. So what do we see? There was a door opening. The dead are rising. And now it says, go hide for a little bit until this tribulation passes. And then the Lord is going to come out of his place. Why? To punish the inhabitants of the earth. The dead, yeah. Well... Again, we see all these scripture verses of him coming to save his people. This is a picture that, this is why they're making that picture that they can see that the gates open on the Feast of Trumpets. Ten days of awe, this tribulation period, an intermediate period. 
In the meantime, you've got these dead that have been raised. The others are supposed to just go hide, wait, because God's going to bring punishment on the earth. And then the second, uh, the Day of Atonement, it's all done. The Lord's coming, and the books are going to be opened and all of that kind of thing. But you can see the gates are then shut. Now again, I don't know if that's how all of this works, but this is just kind of some of the verses where they're getting that picture from. But just reading this by itself in Isaiah 26, I find it very interesting. What happened at Passover when God brought judgment? Everybody locked themselves in their houses until the angel of death had passed. In Revelation, we see the same type of picture as well. There's a time coming, folks, when the judge is going to come and he is going to judge this country. And I don't know when, I don't know what it's going to look like, I don't know all the details, but what I see Scripture saying is there's a time coming when we need to go into our house, shut the door, and wait. That there's no more vacationing and going out to wherever... I didn't mean to stare at you at that point. But... There's a time when we do need to just wait for the Lord to pass. I keep telling my family, you know, this is an exciting time. I know there's a lot of unknowns and there may be a lot of troubles that lie ahead for us. But we should look at this with expectation, urgency, and joy. Like I said, I think I said it to you guys before, but if you have to go to before the court and you're innocent and you're, you know that the judge is going to rule in your favor, you look forward to the day of your court. If we know God is on our side, we know He's the judge, we should be looking forward to Him coming because He's going to rule in our favor and He's going to bring punishment on the wicked. And so rather than us praying, oh boy, I don't know what we should do. I hope I have enough food. I hope I have this. <laughs> we should be praying, come Lord Jesus, come. Expose this evil. Okay, Bring those who are going to come in, bring them in. But we want to praise you. We want to get ready for your coming because this is good news. This is what all of... The, the Old Testament people, this is what all of those who have gone before us have waited for, hoped for, longed for. And now we're like, well, yeah, we always kind of wanted it to come. But now that we're kind of seeing some things that might be where it's coming, we're a little nervous and maybe hopefully it doesn't happen. Because we want to stay on earth? No, thank you. And so what I'm seeing in a lot of this Feast of Trumpet stuff, which I'm not giving you this, hey, everything's going to be just fine, in the sense of we won't maybe lose some stuff, lose some freedom, and have to go through some physical pain. But what I'm telling you is everything is going to be great, that we are in good hands, and you may not have to go through any of that. I don't know, but I know this, that if you do, God's going to be there, and He's going to give you so much grace because he promises us this he loves you remember we're his children 
There are times I let my children go through rough times because I know it's what's good for them. But I'll tell you what, if somebody's going to come and put a gun to their head, am I going to let that happen? No. I am going to step in and do what I can. Now, again, I'm not saying God's not going to allow people, Christians, to die. He will, but he's going to step in and not only be your judge and, and you know, stand up for you, but he's going to be there to comfort you, to give you joy, to give you hope to where you don't care. He's going to open up the heavens so that you can see Jesus sitting at the right hand of God so that when those stones come at you, you don't care. Like he did with Stephen. And so to me, that's as I'm putting together this message of trumpets, I'm getting this message. For me, I'm getting like excited. I'm getting hopeful. And I'm getting encouraged to say, come, I want to hear these trumpets. We should be celebrating. We should be rehearsing this because this is a good thing. That's what I get out of it. And part of that means this. It's supposed to instill in us a sense of urgency. We're getting close here to done. A sense of urgency. Luke 21 says to look up. Verse 28 in Luke 21 says, When these things begin to take place, when you begin to see some of these signs of the end, it says, Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Not cowering, not being scared and wondering, oh, what's going to happen? We should stand up and we should be looking to the heavens, expecting it, hoping for it to come. So, previous, how do, how do we know when we're supposed to go into our house, shut our doors, versus when we're supposed to I think to... we're going to know. Okay. I think we're going to know. Yeah, I, I think... Stand up, oh, wait, no. I'm running outside. Revelation is going to, as we, as you look in Revelation, you're going to see, I think some of these trumpet judgments and things like that that are going on, I think you're going to know that it's time. I might be calling you. Yeah, yeah, I I think you'll know. Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5. What is this? I missed that one. I said we'll send out a group text, but we'll let you know. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure. Verse uh, 4 and 5 of Psalm 39. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Teach me, Lord, to number my days. What that means is don't be clinging on to this world and the things that it has to offer. We need to be fixing our eyes on Yeshua. That's what trumpets is about. Fix your eyes. Look up. Your redemption draws nigh. Whatever nigh means. I was just going to say, when did you start thinking like I... Hi, English. Draw <laughs> I think it's, I think oh, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Psalm 84, verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. I love this psalm. Guys, this is what our heart is to be set on, not on this earth. Blessed are they whose heart is like set on making a, a home here. No, we're never supposed to make this home. This was never our home. We're foreigners here. Our heart should be set on pilgrimage. 
As they pass through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. So just number your days. Fix your eyes on Him. Colossians 3.1 Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. For too long, America has had our, our hearts set on this world. And what we can build up with this kingdom that we have here on earth. How much money we can make. How many places we can go and see. You know, uh, whatever else, you know, goals that we have. And it says, but since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on, on looking up. Where Christ is seated at the right hand. Okay, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Philippians, for our citizenship is in heaven. We're not citizens of this earth. Who, who cares if, if America loses its freedom? This isn't my citizenship. Okay, and I don't mean to sound so unpatriotic, but that's the reality. It doesn't matter what country I live in. It doesn't matter what home I have. What matters is that I am a child of the king. 2 Corinthians 4.18 So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is what trumpets is about. Lift your eyes up. Be expectant. Psalms, well, I'll just skip that one for now. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. I think, meanwhile, we groan, longing that God does not take what we have away and that we can keep all of our fleshly desires. That's the mantra of America. That's not Scripture. And I hear, I hear people in some cases being fearful. I know that's going to happen. That's okay. But don't remain there. Remember these promises. That's the message of Scripture. And that's what I hope this Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, that's what I'm hoping you're going to get out of this is you're going to see Christ, you're going to see Him in some amazing ways, and, and you're going to be able to rejoice that maybe He's not coming back this year, but that He's closer now than He's ever been, and things are happening, and that's exciting. It's what we've been waiting for. Acts 1, 4. You know, the disciples basically were saying, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of God? Um... This is after Jesus has been resurrected. Um, the question is, why are the disciples asking, when is this going to happen? They're living in a land that's called the Holy Land, the Promised Land. They've got a functioning temple, which is where God is supposed to meet with them. But yet, even with all of that, they even understood this wasn't home. This was not the final end game. They knew that what the prophets have spoke about in the Old Testament, in the, in the Tanakh, hadn't been fulfilled yet. 
And so they wanted to know when, but God doesn't give them an answer because the day is hidden. It's shrouded in mystery, just like the Feast of Tabernacles is. But his answer is in here in verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, God doesn't even want you to know what day it is. He wants you to be looking up. He wants you to be expecting it. He wants you to be looking forward to it. But he doesn't want you to know the day. All he wants you to be doing is seeking him as if it could be tomorrow. Or today. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember because I know... There are many times I keep thinking, man, I wonder what's going to happen in September. I wonder what's going to happen. It's not for me to know. It doesn't matter. I'll find out when the time comes. Right now, it's time for me to be in my word, praying, praying for my family, praying for you, praying for uh, repentance to come. That's what we're supposed to be doing now. Matthew 16, 1 through 5, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him. He says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you can't interpret the signs of the times? That's what Jesus said. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none are going to be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them, and he went away. In this whole context, he's saying, you guys can read the weather, but you can't read the times? A couple of things here. Number one, we're going to know the times. He, he expects us to know the times. And I would say that most Christians know that there are things happening in America that are saying the time is at hand. Nigh. You mean nigh. I'm in nigh. The time is nigh. And so we need, there's that balance. We need to be looking up. We need to be expected, but we also know it's coming. And that's why this Feast of Trumpets, I think for me this year, it's going to mean more than it ever has. Trumpets, tabernacles, all of it. Because he expects us to have an indication. Matthew 24, 1. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. He's talking about the temple. They know, the disciples know, that the Messiah is centered around that temple. Okay? They just didn't realize at that point that the temple would become us. That we are, I believe, the, the true third temple. But what Yeshua was saying is that this temple was going to be destroyed. And in 70 AD, that's the exact same thing that did happen. The Romans came in and they destroyed that earthly temple. Many people at that time understood that that meant that he was coming. Well, he wasn't quite yet. That was just a foreshadowing of it. And he goes on here and says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately telling us, they said, when will this happen? When, when is this temple going to be destroyed? All these things. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. He doesn't really answer. He just tells them, watch. Watch. And I think that's what I was trying to get at with my Corona message part four last week. 
We need to be watchful because I'm seeing a lot of people putting their trust in a human being to deliver us from all of our troubles. But all of our troubles that he's going to deliver us from seem to be fleshly, material things, not spiritual things. What I see Pastor Dana saying is we've got one coming who's going to deliver us from all of our real troubles. And we need to be watchful more than ever because, as I said last week, that any time before the Lord comes, before any of these major things happen, there is an uprising of false prophets, false messages. And I am seeing that. Even while I was on this trip, I was talking with some people who are hardcore believers in what I was showing you last week, this, this uh, Mark Taylor. Because he's got a book out on the Trump prophecies. And I am seeing a lot of Christians who are not watching, keeping their eyes on Jesus, but watching, keeping their eyes on, bless me, Lord, keep my stuff, keep me happy, keep me, you know, uh, healthy, whatever the case might be. Be watchful. Be watchful. Last slide here is this. Is Again, they see it as the time of coronation of the kings. And uh, like I said, Jewish eschatology, they see the Day of Atonement is supposed to happen after 6,000 years of history. I think we're there. I didn't have this, but if you have your Bibles, turn to Hosea 5. Towards the end of the chapter. I have a question while I look in. Yeah. Why, why all of a sudden King James? Um, I took some slides from some other places oh. is why. And so, so I'm like, really? Because we're not going to convert to King James, right? No, no. <laughs> I, I've just got some slides from other places. I'll, I'm going to mainly be New King James, but yeah. Shut it up. Yes. <laughs> there are some here who enjoy that and have their King James that are... More special than you are. Anyway. <laughs> I know. It's definitely more. It's more. Wait a minute. If I read the King James, I get more treasure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Hosea 5. About 20 years ago, I taught this. And I still believe it to be true. I'm not giving you a time of the Lord's coming back. I'm just saying that... I think this is prophetically correct. That's, this is my understanding of this verse. And I'm going to slaughter it. I know NIV, so I've got the extra condemned version in my head here. But um, NIV basically talks, I will be like a, a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. And it says, I will tear them to pieces and go away. When did this happen? I have asked pastor upon pastor upon pastor where chapter 5 at the very end and then moving into chapter 6, the first couple of verses, when did this happen? And nobody has been able to tell me. I can't find in any commentary telling me when any of this happened, but I think I know exactly when it happened. It says he's going to be like a lion to them and then he's going to go away and he's going to go back to his place. When did Yeshua come down be like a lion to the Jews, and then go back to his place. 
until they admit their guilt. The cross. He even told them, I leave you this house desolate. Right? He comes, he's like a lion to them. He tears them to pieces, and then he goes away. He goes back to his place. He ascends to heaven. And then, he says, they're going to say that he has torn us to pieces, but he's going to bind up our wounds. Okay? He's going to heal us. And it says, then they're going to admit their guilt. And in their misery, they're going to cry out to God and say, Lord, basically help us, right? They cry out to him. What does Romans say? It says that we're in the time of the Gentiles right now. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. In the end times, God is going to open the message back up to the Jews. They're going to come back because the time of the Gentiles is going to be over. And then it says after two days, two days after he goes back to his place, he will revive them. So that on the third day, not after the third day, on the third day, he will restore them that they may live in his presence. I believe that each day of creation is a pattern of a thousand years of history. I've talked about that in some of my presentations. I think that pattern stands from when Psalm says that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. I think that that's very literal in the sense that a day of creation is like a thousand years of history. Because day one of creation, you separate light and darkness. The first thousand years of history you have dominated by Adam. He lives 930 years separating good and evil. Second day we see separation of waters. The second thousand years of history is dominated by Noah and the water separating. We see the third day of creation is filling the land with vegetation. The third thousand years of history is dominated by Abraham calling his people, filling the land with his people. The fourth day of creation, sun, moon, and stars, 4,000th year of, of history, we see Jacob and his sons. The 12 tribes of Israel, which Revelation and Joseph's dream tell us are pictured by the sun, moon, and stars. Fifth day of creation, we see the birds and fish. New Testament symbols, the 5,000th year, that's when we see Jesus, a New Testament period. You see this pattern all the way to the seventh day of creation, which was rest. And in Hebrews chapter 4, we see there still remains a Sabbath rest for all God's people, that millennial period of Revelation chapter 20. Then it's a thousand years. I see that pattern. I believe Hosea 5 and Hosea 6, the end of 5 and the beginning of 6, when it says after two days, that 2,000 years after Yeshua ascends into heaven, he's coming back. Now, again, I am not being a date setter. I am not giving you a date when the Lord is coming back. I don't know the exact day or hour, but I think I know the season. And that is this. I don't know when Yeshua was crucified. There's arguments between 30 A.D. to 35 A.D., and there's some, I, I think you can pick out two of those, but I won't get into all of that based on 
you know, when is Passover, what day did he die, but there's so many arguments out there, it, it doesn't matter. But what that means is 20 years ago plus, I believe that I thought, if the Lord comes back, I can see him coming back sometime around 2030. You got a seven-year period of tribulation in there too. So I don't know, do you account for that after that, before that? I would think probably before that. That puts you at 2023. I don't know. But there's even some evidence that would suggest that maybe it was 20 or like 27 AD that Yeshua died. Seven years before that puts it at 2020. Okay, so again, you can't. There's no way. Our calendars are so messed up. There's no way that I can set a date. But I'm thinking it's going to be 2,000 years after Yeshua ascended into heaven based on this scripture verse. So, so basically, out of all plausible dates, the first one in your mind is coming up real quick. Possibly. So you just gave a range of about seven years from when he died, which and, kind of falls into the pre mid or post-tribulation argument. Yes. And what I mean by the Lord coming back, I think it'd be at the end. And so I'm allowing for that seven-year tribulation period within that, you know, until He's coming. I'll tell you, I'm a post-trib person. I think that we're going to see that seven years. I think we're going to see God moving in that seven years. I think He's going to protect a lot of people. I think a lot of people will die because it's what Revelation says. You read, and there are saints who have been killed who did not take the mark of the beast. So, and they are saying, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? I have seen saints throughout all of history. Just saw a few years back, 21 saints who were beheaded on the beach by ISIS. I see right now in China, Christians are under attack, and I think it's only just beginning, and they have throughout much of history. Go tell them that don't worry, God's going to come and take you out before you have to suffer. Okay? I, I just don't see it. If you disagree with me, fine. This is not a thing. You know, I'm, not, I'm just telling you, this is what I believe, and the other reason is I believe because when I look at the seventh trumpet, when I see First Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, saying when the Lord's coming back, when we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air, it's at the sound of the trumpet, the last trumpet. And then I go and I look at the last trumpet in Revelation, the seventh trumpet, Revelation chapter 11. It says this, now the kingdom of God has become, or the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God. And the time to reward his saints has come. That's when the seventh trumpet blows. So to me, this is where I'm getting it from, from Scripture, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians, and so on. Like I said, if you disagree with me, that's fine, but that's, that, that's the way I'm understanding, and I hope that I am wrong. Okay? But it doesn't bother me if I'm not wrong, because I know, I see tons of Scripture saying, yes, some are going to die, and when they do, He's going to be there for them. But he's also going to be protecting an awful lot of people too. Supernaturally. We're going to see God moving in ways like he did in the Exodus. But my point in bringing this up is, for the last 25 years, 
I've been thinking it's going to be that it's quite possible the Lord is coming back sometime around, you know, 2,000 years after His ascension. Yeah. We're there. <laughs> and that's why I think this Feast of Tabernacles is important. This Feast of Trumpets is important. We need to be looking up and really reevaluate what's important in life what our goals are for the next 10 years. Really, what our goals are for the next 150 years. Yeah. But my point is, is not even the seven, but the 150, that we need to be just seeking after him like never before and being excited about it, not scared about it. Because our hope is not in our stuff. Our hope is in the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And I just want to get you guys pumped up for that. So anyway, let's close in prayer. And if you guys have questions, I, I've gone uh, about a little longer than I wanted to as usual. But this one I knew was going to be tough because, like I said, it's so scattered the other ones are going to be a little bit more cohesive, but um, we'll talk about those at the Feast of Tabernacles. I think next week I'll probably go back to Hebrews for a week anyway, but I wanted you starting to think on that before we got to the days of Elul. So let's pray. Lord Yeshua, I, I'm just grateful that we have you on our side. I am grateful that it does not depend on me for my righteousness because I would fail and do fail all the time. But Lord, I believe your promises, I believe your word, and I believe that you are coming back. I don't know for sure when, but I believe that just as we can tell when there's a storm coming, that there's a storm coming and that you are going to be in it. And I, I'm excited for that. I know it's going to mean trouble, I know it's going to be hard, but we ask that you would send your spirit to prepare us ahead of time, that we would have our eyes looking up that we would be in your word and that you would prepare us for whatever is to come. To be able to weather those storms. To be able to share your word joyfully in those storms. And that we would not have a spirit of fear, but that we would have a spirit of sonship. And by that, we will cry out, Abba, Father. We cry out to you to give us strength. We saw David was fearful. We've seen that... The most godly men of Scripture, all of them, were fearful at times. But when they cried out to you, you answered. And so, Lord, when we cry out to you, may you be there quickly to answer us, to, to remind us of these promises and this truth. And so I pray that you would protect this group as we celebrate. And we just pray all of these things in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen.